Midway City was abuzz with the recent arrival of some new heroes. Our trail led us to the police commissioner, who merely told us that his friends hailed from another world and aimed to learn how justice was dealt on Earth. Soon enough, we saw the winged wonders in action, and we followed in hot pursuit to see this Silver Age transformation. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. We are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. So we have asked Shannon to join us again for this content because we think it's important because while the pair that we're covering right now aren't necessarily like a iconic relationship pair like Lois and Clark or Oliver and, Diana, and Dinah or Diana and Steve... They're still an iconic pair in the DC lore, and that is Hawkman and Hawkgirl. And you all remember how bad Hawkman was in the Golden Age and how we didn't like... How bad was he? Well. <laughs> Those are some faces. Listen to episode uh, for, for, uh, Disappointment on Metal Wings. That's the episode about... Good memory! Um, that's the episode about it. And uh, it is just sad um previously though in the dc universe hawkman and shaira because she technically mm -hmm. wasn't hawk girl we just saw her dress up it's once true, in yeah. the hawkman outfit because she was trying to play decoy um carter hall and shaira were once egyptian royalty prince khufu and princess shaira who were cursed and battled an egyptian priest who wanted to Mary Shaira, except she wanted to be with her true love, Carter, or Prince Khufu. And they were cursed to be reincarnated lovers throughout time and space. And they found each other again in an unknown city or an unimportant city. And their adventures then ensued of just being the Hawkman who had his ninth metal weaponry and wings that could fly him around. And it was an adventure comic. Their relationship was pretty lackluster um it was not gardner fox's best work to say the least it was kind of what made us think that well we invented the term gardner foxing because of hawkman oh that's right it was just doing things that looked fun and not really going into the how and the why about it specifically the venusian egg that they found and then carter took it home and then shira was like you don't need it i need it and stole it from him and then a guy stole it from Shaira, and neither Carter nor Shaira like went to look for that alien egg that they found for like three weeks, and it hatched into an alien. And then they were like, "Huh, that must be where that egg went." I'm like, "You weren't like pulling your hair out over the fact that someone stole an alien egg from you? Like, that's what we're talking about when we say Gardner Foxing." Well, if she got mad, then. It would be hypocritical. Sure, um, but they were both very hypocritical oh. characters. Um, Carter was very mean to her. Um, they did bets, you know, if I can solve this mystery, you have to buy me a dinner deal. And God, he solved right. the mystery and took her to the most expensive restaurant and ordered all the most expensive food and let her think that she had to pay for all of it and then said, I'll send her a check tomorrow. So he, like, let her go through the nightmare of having to pay for all this really expensive food that he was gorging himself on, only to send her a check later to be like, ha, ah, it's cool, which is a dick move, in our opinion. Um, it is the stance of this podcast that Carter Hall in the Golden Age is a dick. Uh, <laughs> let the record show. Yes. Uh, 
Let Thank you, Joanne. Steve Carter. Thank you, Joanne. Speaking of, we haven't we haven't a uh, crass done. Carter. Crass Carter. There we go. I like it. Um, yeah, we haven't spoken to Joanne in a while, mainly just because she's been working overtime trying to, you know, wrangle the three of us. But Joanne's been doing the yeoman's work, trying to keep us on track, and God bless her for it. We've had many a girl's night. Yes, she, you and you and her have commiserated on how long-winded I am, and. Uh, on that of, note. Yeah, speaking of. <laughs> speaking and of we're how many minutes in? Speaking of being long-winded. Uh, we're going to jump into the first appearance of Hawkman and Hawkgirl in the Silver Age. Woo! So I love Silver. we specifically are looking at this because they are mentioned, at least Hawkman is, in the Justice League issue in 1961 about who they're going to vote in to be the new Justice League member. And we thought, wouldn't that be funny if we just covered that? You know, I mean, sure, yeah, we can look at Green Arrow and more Batman later. But as of right now, chronologically, this is kind of where we're at. Speaking of where we're exactly at, it is Brave and the Bold, number 34, February, March, 1961. So literally just a couple months before May, which is when the issue, when they said, who should we vote in to be in the Justice League is. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to tell you who writes these out the gate we want to see if you can guess and then we're gonna do it like a reveal as to who writes these um but we really really i really like these a lot i think they're the most solid stories we've seen in a long time if you read them in color they have a lot more uh emotional impact i think they're very good compared to what we have been reading i'll agree 100 oh i'm right there with yeah i'm right there Um, they're as good if not better than the flash comics to me and we'll I, I, can, I can expand on that. But um, <laughs> Carter Hall and Shayera, there is going to be a difference in pronunciation between their um, alter egos. Specifically, also, I said that incorrectly. It's Katar Hall and Shayera um, are Thenagarian police officers who are flying to Earth to chase a criminal who has escaped Thenagarian justice. Thenagar is, of course, the planet they are from. Um they're chasing the shape-shifting criminal Bith to our world. Now, as they find out that Bith has landed on Earth, they put on this basically like history helmet kind of a thing. It helps them assimilate. Well, yeah, yeah. it basically takes in everything from the world they're above and then processes into their brains in real time. Yeah. Well, not real time. But for, for a while, like at least a couple hours, I would imagine. It doesn't happen mm-hmm. instantaneously. Mm-hmm. It se- like They seem to stop after a while because they feel like they've had enough. Um, so they land on Earth in their complete Hawkman and Hawkgirl garb. It's almost, you know, piece for piece, the exact outfit from the Golden Age. Um, it's very close. Yeah, and they land on Earth looking for a police commissioner, uh, specifically Police Commissioner Emmett. There's a really weird, creepy moment where Shaira or Shaira is like, "This is how people press doorbells," and I'm like, "No one presses doorbells <laughs> like that, Shaira. No one, no one gets really creepy yeah. up on them and like, like a like gremlin. The, the it looked like the Grinch. It. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it did look like the Grinch. Yeah, she. Um, this is how Shaira stole Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm down to see what Thanagarian Christmas. No, never mind. Actually, Thanagarian Christmas is probably gonna look like kind of a neutered, washed down version of whatever weird sci-fi stuff ex-writer would have in mind they had different holidays we found that out. yeah we found that out later so they ring the doorbell of police commissioner emmett and they explain hey we're cops from a different planet we're chasing a criminal um can you help us out buddy and he's like sure this isn't weird at all and (laughs) it's so great yeah 
so Commissioner Emmett of Midway City, where they land, says, all right, this seems legit. Um, I'll help you do this, but you're going to need a cover so, like, you don't reveal that you're aliens, I guess, because, like, the world can't handle that. So why don't you just take over my brother-in-law's job, which is museum curator? Don't worry. I'm sure there won't be any logistics or, you know, bureaucracy to go through. So Katar and Shayera take on human names, Carter and Shayera. Like, that's, like, the laziest, yeah. like... Carter sounds like a real human name, and they evolved it from Katar, because it's K-A-T-A-R to Carter. And Shayera is S-H-A-Y-E-R-A. So, Shayera to Shayera, which is, you know, the usual spelling. Um, so, they use their zero-G wings. Fancy now, not even ninth metal. Um, to fly to the museum, establish their cover so that they can continue to look for Biff on this planet. Um, meanwhile, Biff is taking the shape of various animals and committing crimes on this new planet because apparently Thanagarian criminals do it for the thrill, not really for greed. They're just lo pure love of the game. And he's like, sweet, a whole new planet that I can totally bamboozle with my like animal-changing powers that I got after stealing a pill from a scientist on Thanagar. Great. So, while Carter and Shayera are in the museum looking for Biff, a young woman, a naturalist, Mavis Trent, comes to them and she's like, ooh, super hot new museum curator. And I his... wish I had known you were here sooner. Yeah, very hair flip. Um, and she says, so I found this super weird bird that doesn't exist anywhere. I would like to, like, take pictures of it and put it up in the museum and stuff like that. And he's like, hmm. That's a Thanagarian bird. How suspicious. And, of course, Shire's, uh not about this girl macking on her man. Never. And, and that's... I, I love, first of all, the lettering in these issues. It's the first time we've seen lettering, like, the balloon dripping icicles of how pissed oh, off she is. Oh, wow. Like, yeah. if you really think about it, that's the first time we've ever seen someone mess with the lettering and the huh. balloons to imply tone. Think you're right. And it's Good awesome. call. That's Good also why. I, that's also why I love these. Is because this is a specific stylistic evolution than we that we've seen previously in a lot of stuff. A lot of onomatopoeias, a lot of sound effects. We don't normally see those in a lot of the comics. Mm -hmm. um, it's miss hit or miss for certain writers. Um, but this, the lettering in these is pretty top notch. Um, so Carter and Shayera go to where this bird is and uh, Biff is like, holy shit, they found me out and um, escapes their clutches and finds his way into another hollow earth scenario, much like we dealt with with Flash. And he's like, oh my God, all these new animals that clearly the surface dwellers haven't seen. I'm going to turn into some of these and, you know, fight them off. Um, they have another encounter with Biff as some of these hollow earth creatures. It doesn't go so well for Biff. So eventually he decides, I'm going to pull the greatest heist, whatever, but also I'm going to turn into a thing that I probably should have turned into in the first place, which is a giant Thanagarian dragon thing. And he wants to steal, this is, this is hilarious, this is what he thinks is the heist of the century. He wants to steal a freeway tunnel. <laughs> like, yep. he doesn't want to steal like a building or a monument or a statue, he wants to steal a freeway tunnel. And he goes, perfect, now that I'm a dragon I can just you know, slide my body into this tunnel and then lift off and take the tunnel with me. Perfect. And I'm like, that's a dumb thing. You're bad at this, Biff. Sorry. He successfully um, destroyed that tunnel. Yeah, he really did. He destroys it in the process. Uh, I don't want to know the casualty count. 
spirit. Yeah, but uh, he's a villain, so we don't count yeah. his body count. Um, so Shaira and Carter eventually stop Biff by like paralyzing him with some uh, goop or serum that they put inside of these maces that they're wielding, and of course the creature that he that Biff has turned into eats metal, so he eats the maces and swallows the serum and is paralyzed and knocked out and they put him on their ship and they autopilot him back to Thanagar. They punch him actually. Yeah. I mean like they do a lot of things to him. him down enough. Yeah, they, they, they punch do him the simultaneous thing. Wow, they do a team move. Um and after they knock him unconscious, they send him back to Thanagar, uh police commissioner Emmett's like, Can you guys like stick around? Because you're pretty dope and they're like, Don't worry, we've already put in a request with our home to do so. And here we are now. The Hawks are living in Midway City under Carter Hall and Shaira Hall identities as museum people, and that's their you know their little uh, cadre is Mavis and Commissioner Emmett. That's their supporting cast, and their abilities seem to be some skill at uh, breathing in a vacuum. They can survive in a vacuum for up to five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, moderate super strength i'm going to chalk that up to just uh, low gravity strength much like superman uh lower gravity on earth compared to thanagar so they're stronger than normal zero g belts weapons training and their hawk hoods have some special treatments on them that make them more effective when they fight people so that's their shtick there was one that you forgot Mm. oh yeah they talk to birds they They actually supposedly can control them sometimes yeah like kind of aquaman-esque control slash communicate with avian creatures and that's pretty weird but you know i'll i'll give them the one bad one with all the rest of them that are okay there are three different like power types here there's there's the sci-fi just they have the tools there's magic just shows up a lot it's not necessarily a power type of theirs but magic shows up a decent amount and then there's... They're not wielding it, though. They're not wielding it, to their credit. Yeah. But there are a bunch of different intersections of power types in their vicinity. Which is... And then talking to birds. Well, but to be fair, that's just Superman comics. Yeah. Sci-fi and, with magic, you know, intersection, and then talking to animals as Aquaman. So um, the thing I'll throw out there is, I'll argue that this is a Silver Age comic of the type of Green Lantern and Flash. And I don't think we see power type overlaps for them. I think it's all science for them, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to remember. I mean, Green Justice Lantern, League no. Aside, Justice League aside. Green Lantern, no. But I feel like with Flash, we've seen some... Uh, was there the one? I don't know. But I okay. feel like, I feel like, yeah, that's not the case. But also, that seems to be a weird situation in which this universe has proven that magic exists. So yeah. why not? Um, Brave and the Bold, number 35, May 1961. The Matter Master. This guy's a criminal who um, found a way to use Mentachem, which is a, I guess, form of matter that he discovered, to control other matter to do his will, and the Hawks defeat him. Um, The second story in Brave and the Bold, number 35, uh, Mavis Trent goes missing on assignment in the mountains, and the Hawks go after to see if they can rescue her, and apparently she sees a yeti that freezes her in place and then takes her away so carter and shayara investigate and they find these aliens who i guess are now believed to be yetis living in this mountain and they're trying to protect people or rather protect themselves from being discovered and that's why they're like disappearing people on the mountains and eventually 
they just explain that you guys should live in harmony with humans. Um, Brave and the Bold, number 36, July 1961. Conrad Kozlak, who is, I, it sounds like he works also at the museum or adjacent to the museum as just a guy who talks about magic stuff, um, attempts to steal a bunch of items to make a, I'll just say for lack of a better term, prophecy come true so that he could have better magic to make the projections that he can conjure become real reality so that he has like an army of just like summoned creatures um and of course the hawks defeat him because they're good at stuff um carl sands in the second story of number 36 um this guy has actually shown up a couple times in other comics in the future um that i've noticed and i was like hey that guy um this is his origin from the comics uh carl sands is the shadow thief and he's a guy who after serving his stint in prison, did some experimentation with dimensional travel and saved an extra dimensional being from being killed and was rewarded with the dimension meter, which allows him to move between dimensions where he can then steal things in a different dimension from our dimension and appear as a shadow to us. And the Hawks kind of trick him by like letting him fall out of his trailer and he has to have, he has to go back into our dimension to have them save him and that's how they get a hold of him. And I love the the beautiful simplicity of it because just because he's insubstantial as a shadow, like bullets go through him, doesn't mean that he's going to be fine if he hits the ground. Right, right, which is kind of funny. Yeah. I still like, want to know how it was going to cause an ice age if that was mm -hmm. used too many times. Right, the, uh, the extra-dimensional being explains to Hawkman and Hawkgirl that continued use of the dimension meter will apparently cause an ice age into our dimension and that's never you're right it's never really explained um as to how that occurs but it doesn't really matter because it never happens two-dimensional snow yeah exactly then we move literally ahead a year um we don't see the hawks in brave and the bold mm. till 1962 in july so brave and the bold number 42 july 1962 um, Katar and Shaira are recalled back to Thanagar. Basically, they have, like, off-screen the rest of the year's worth adventures, and now they're going back to Thanagar. Like, their time is up, and their, like, I guess furlough or whatever, you know, Thanagar said this was, is over. And they report to their commanding officer, who's like, congrats, welcome back, you guys did a great job. And literally, they go through the entire history of what they did in the previous three issues in a, in a way that says we are keeping track of our chronology and canon mm -hmm. which is really really important because while the flash does this only with the appearance of villains green lantern and this comic are the only ones that continue to have a canon that is referenced because green lantern had the guardians and this now has the fact that Carter and Shaira are referencing their previous cases. One thing that I'll go into a little bit later on. Uh, I actually have the phrase world building in my notes because nothing feels like it's throwaway. Everything like maybe some villains, uh, but in terms of anything that's like, oh, that's a world element. Anything that feels like a world element so far feels like it could remain a world element. Right. And it. It honestly has from what we've seen. Um, as they adjust back to life on Thanagar, the the author pulling a, ooh, future tech by literally having them use credit cards. 
uh, which I laughed so hard at. Where it's like, you know, paying for food without any actual banknotes using these their identity cards. I'm like, they're just using credit cards. But yeah. that's hilarious. And that like in the 60s, they're like, oh, so futuristic. <laughs> the thing that also kind of like blows me away is it's almost, it's all, it feels like they're trying to make the connection between, oh, you can pay with this and there is no want. Because it's like the we mentioned that the uh, the thieves only steal for the glory of it. Yeah. And there's there is one other possible explanation that sort of comes up later on uh, in an upcoming issue, but also it kind of feels like oh everybody can just pay with identity chips. You don't. Nobody needs anything. It's like there's still a digital goods economy. You still have financial markets. Unless you have a universal basic income as part of your identity chips, that doesn't actually solve the issue of want. There's Thank you. There's a lot of issues that make me wonder how on earth they survived in our world. Where, <laughs> like, if you just look, there's first off her going, oh my gosh, fashions must have changed. I refuse to eat out. And then when they eat in, it's a matter of just pressing buttons. And granted, it's jumping ahead, but apparently cooking is something that Thanagarians aren't necessarily trained in. Well, remember, they did use the the helmets before they went down to our planet to show them what humans have been doing. So presumably they learned, oh, they cook manually, this is how they shop, this is what everyone's wearing, and this is how money works. They watched 40 hours of Julia Childs. Well, I mean, like, <laughs> like it's not really that surprising to me when their entire time before jumping on the planet was prepping for living on this world so we can actually communicate with these individuals like they knew enough to go to the police commissioner and that is actually world worked that is actually an interesting point we don't get any fish out of water stories i wonder if we're going to get those in the future but for now it does like they don't earn the knowledge of how to cook they don't earn the habits of yeah. cooking but it sure seems like they get the knowledge and they just kind of have it as though they lived it, Although, which is a little weird. They also keep saying that they're gone specifically to learn police customs, to learn how mm. to be earthen police. And as far sure. as I can tell, they never do. I don't know. That could have been in the off-camera year that we don't see. Be you know, just, I'm just, just saying. Just continue the, this storyline because what they right. learned is definitely <laughs> uh. not earth and police tactics of the modern era that they are in at the moment. That depends. Oh where, that depends where you're where you live. Where um. they live, I'm pretty sure they're. Uh, okay okay actually side note side note because i'm really curious because you will probably actually know the answer to this canonically and i know i'm tangenting but where is midway city chicago is it supposed to be chicago chicago okay well that really midwest huh. it's based loosely on the real world city of chicago illinois though chicago also exists in dcu yeah so it's, <laughs> so it's the midwest huh um but they readjust the Thanagarian life, and within like an hour or so of them being on Thanagar, they stumble upon a like a daylight robbery of these little men on giant dragonflies. And as they attempt to subdue the men on the dragonflies, they realize none of their techniques with like Thanagarian gear are affecting these men. So they employ human slash earth tactics which is uh lassoing the guys off of these dragonflies and as they have them they're like perfect talk and they realize that these guys are robots and the dragonflies are actually the things that are stealing them uh the items and they find out 
that Biff has broken out of Thanagarian prison with the help of his old gang, and they smuggled in letters to him that had the chemicals that were made that were used to make the pill that gave him powers, and he made it for his gang, and now they're all shapeshifters. So Shaira and Carter must now recapture Biff back on their planet, and again, world building. It's that guy that we saw in the first appearance. Um, in the middle of all of this, we get a flashback to the first time Shaira and Carter ever met. We get their, like, first case together, and we kind of just see that, you know, she was a rookie and he was a veteran cop. Um, a little bit of the, like, you know, stay out of my way, rookie kind of a thing. But she is also, as we've been seeing through the issues, capable. She's good at what she does, and there's a reason she is a cop. Um, and it does feel like that was a them looking back on it and, oh, things were different then. Yeah, things were different when you weren't so good at what you do and now you're just as good as I am, presumably, at, at the things that we're doing. And there she you are. just had insane luck. Yeah, she was very lucky. <laughs> yeah. um, but, of course, the group um, captures Biff by, like, laying a trap for him and... Shaira like judo throws a dude and Carter punches a couple guys and you know they they capture them and they're victorious um Brave and the Bold number 43 August 1962 literally the next issue Earth is like you guys need to come back some shit's going on where are the hawks um because Earth is under attack from what can only be described as the reverse of Hawkman and Hawkgirl so which is good. which is giant birds but with human masks on it's so it shoot good. Beams it shoot laser eyes. beams out of their eyes. It's so good. It's so stupid. I love so it's it. The it's man great. Hawks. They're the Manhawks. And um, this is a big deal because apparently the Manhawks were the inciting incident on Thanagar that essentially forced them to make the Thanagarian police as we know it today, as Carter and Shair are part of it. Um, Carter and his father encountered the Manhawks out one day when they were just doing things with a cap, cap, capital T things and his father um, is basically an inventor who makes the hawk helmet and gear for him and they analyze the masks of the manhawks to see that they're like they've got these lenses on the front of them that amplify the light coming out of the, the hawk's eyes that make the lasers and they find a way to counteract that and they capture and or drive the hawks away from the planet um and that forms the first hawk police force and so that's kind of how we get the formation of this police force that hawkman is a part of um so him and shaira return to earth they see police commissioner emmett they're like hey what's going on and he fills them in on the manhawks attacking they return to the museum where mavis trent is like oh my god you guys were gone for like a long time what happened and they're like we were on vacation and for the rest of the issue, they realize that the Manhawks have upgraded their masks to something different than what they had previously. And so Hawkman and Hawkgirl have to create like a cloud of like coal rain by like throwing like dust and dirt into clouds as it rains down on the Manhawks. And it coats their masks so they can't see and then they like wrestle them up and they are now imprisoned on Earth. And it's cool, and they're back on Earth, and they're like, we're gonna stay here now. Because, like... Learning more about police business. Sure, let's see how you guys do stuff, because, like, apparently... Sh 
Carter can only have been a cop for like what has to be like five years, which makes me think that like Thanagarian police have only existed for like five years. So they clearly do need to learn police tactics from other civilizations that have had police forces for centuries. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, like the consequences of like a police slip up seem to be lower in Thanagar just because it's like uh, people only steal because from like for the glory. It's like, that seems a little bit more like free play. I, I can't imagine they have like the frequency of homicides that we have. Right. If that like it seems like a little bit more of a softcore police. Yeah, it's, no, that that sounded weird when I it, said it. it. It's more like just thievery. It's what a child assumes yes. crime is. Yes, yes, yes. It's either all it's all quicksands, uh, occasional like high profile murder and uh, grandiose thieveries. Sure. Um, also, uh, Brave and the Bold number 42, Hawkman received his honor wings, which are those giant wings that you see on the side of his helmet. Um, honor which is, wings. Which is so Man cool. Hawks. Yeah, I love it. I love all the world building details. It's great. Um, and that's part of his costume literally forever now for the rest of time as you see Hawkman, which is kind of cool. They just, they're actual, they're actual like badges of honor. Also, we find out that Shire's earrings are... Um, indication that she is married that's a cultural that's a culturally significant piece of jewelry and hey okay that's just why she's had earrings forever in the comics as well um so that's the end of uh brave and the bold number 43 with the manhawks um brave and the bold number 44 november 1962 it's thanagarian impossible day which i guess is coincides the same day as july 4th for earth and on this day impossible things are done to celebrate stuff and things on Thanagar and Shaira is feeling homesick and Carter's like well let's go on a picnic and she's like can we go in like our Thanagar stuff and he's like yeah sure why not so they go on a picnic and they end up stopping three crimes or three events in what two earthlings believe are impossible manners and they're like oh my god like we celebrated impossible day on earth this is fantastic and it's just a cute little story about the two of them being a couple doing stuff. And I do want to call out, that is the only story in all of the stuff that we cover that is that kind of uh, three wishes, three challenges, three different uh, super robots they have to defeat before you can challenge Dr. Wiley. Right. Robot Masters. That's um, what I'm looking for. God, the, my brain is not here. The last story in uh, Brave and the Bull number 44 Um Beings of a previously frozen civilization, which I guess are all just anthropomorphic animal people, are unfrozen and attempt to move the Earth's orbit so that their civilization unfreezes and I guess they can repopulate the planet with their civilization and, and in doing so, killing all humans on Earth because the, I guess the orbit's changed. Um, it doesn't work because clocks are different. Like, that's literally what happens. Uh, they think that their doomsday device is, is complete, and they're like, you're too late, Hawkman. And then he's like, this was set for, like, 18-hour days when the orbit was smaller. It's 24 now. So, like, you lose. And they're like, shucks. You know how there was a Mars lander that crashed because of the conversion between metric and imperial? Yeah. Yep. So it's just... It was weird, but, like, it's just another story. And they end up fighting these three animals, which is, like, a dog, a cat, and, like, a, a ram dude. And they win. 
Um, I thought they were going to go somewhere with, like, ancient Egyptian. Yep. Um, but no. Um, so, dear listener, who do you think wrote these? It's Gardner Fox. So, like, what? turns out in 20 years you can get a lot better at writing. <laughs> and one thing I'm going to call out, uh, because I've talked about this a little bit more in my notes, uh, this is a very different kind of writing from the other thing Gardner Fox has done in the Silver Age that we've mostly latched onto, the Justice League, which is so much more whimsical and uh, formula and uh, lackadaisical. It's not a bad word for it. These are, you know what? This felt the most like either old Hawkman, which, eh, or old Sandman. This has mm. that more action feel without being, I guess it doesn't have the gloss of the Flash or Green Lantern, to me at least. But this is, I just want to call out right here, Gardner Fox has impressed us twice now in the Silver Age for very different stories. Right. Um, I would say these are probably the stories that make me think of silver age comics the most yes because they are full complete stories with world building and an establishment of a character's um state of being this is probably the most solidified for a character that we've seen that has been rebooted not to mention he just seems better than superman and batman and wonder woman at this time or rather the pair of them do um Speaking of the pair of them, Shannon, do you have any commentary on Hawk Girl at this point? Okay. The less Hawk Girl, more Mavis Trent. Mm. Not that yeah. I want more Mavis Trent and Just less more, Hawk yeah, Girl. More I actually would love more Hawk Girl. But Mavis Trent and Skeeve Trevor are soulmates. Yeah. They are straight up soulmates, except. Mavis has an uncanny ability. She's actually got a mediocre superpower, which is called I'm in love with Carter no matter what form he's in. And the worst part is Carter doesn't reject her ever. In fact, he actually encourages her once, which when I saw that, I read it twice just to make sure. And then I was like, you're a little dirtbag, Carter. Your wife is so good to you. He never goes, I have a wife. Except he's like, this is my secretary and my wife. And she's like, oh, you have a wife. But that doesn't dissuade her from standing outside his room all night. That was weird. That was weird. And even he's like, were you here the whole time? And she was like, you're not going to get away from me. And then they go out and about looking. And poor Shire is like, ugh, this lady. We're stuck out here doing this. Afterwards, when Hawkman rescues her, then she goes, oh my god, Hawkman, you're amazing. You're hot, I wonder if he's married. And then, a second time where he rescues her and returns a ring that she lost. This is in one of the stories we super lost over. Oh, yeah. But returns a ring that she lost. She tries to get him to place it on her ring finger. Specifically going, if he does it, I'm going to trick him into marrying me. Which is not how that works. Right? That's not is how that, that how works. works? Is that how it works? Because newsflash, no. That's the, you can't just be like, we're married now, because the other person has to be like, yes, indeed, or no, thank you. Like, And then when she gets flowers, she assumes they're from him. And then when she loses those flowers, here's where he's a douche, he buys her new ones yeah, that because was someone had to replace them and actually admits, these are flowers I got you. Like, when it comes to Mavis, I feel 
like we're getting sort of one of those dreams of I've got this really perfect hot wife, but I still can have like other women fawning all over me all the time. And it's not bad. Like, I love Shire and I love her reactions and I like I like her. But to me, every time that he doesn't reject this woman's advances, I'm going, dude, you aren't being a good guy. You're being just you're being a jerk to your good wife. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No. Mavis Trent. She and Steve Trevor match made in heaven for trying to apparently trick people into marrying them. Um, right. But no, as far as Shire is concerned, most of what we see her do is very capable, except obviously as the rookie cop, you know, rolling a nat 20 on your luck roll. But she only ends up needing a form of saving twice, yeah. I think. And it's when she's actually been hit by something. It's not because she's... That she's like a clumsy or person or whatever it's just she's actually like been shot by a laser beam or she can't handle the fight it she is at the same time shooting bows and arrows with him yeah. you know stuff like that and and she does like i said she judo throws a bear like that's fighting that's more fighting mm-hmm. than we've seen wonder woman yeah, the do. amount of yeah. coordination the amount of fighting skills they don't necessarily take the same weapons all the time um I definitely think it would be great to see more highlights on her because right now Mm. the comic, albeit it's called Hawkman, I understand. Um, Anytime it's focused just on her, it's a little more of that, oh, Mavis or oh, those outfits. It's less on this is now what she's doing by herself because they they do split up and her brief moment of being split up, she, of course, doesn't defeat it. Well, Hawkman gets way more interesting storyline right there. Sure. I have her down as a second in command and not a sidekick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Correct. But she yeah. is definitely better than Robin. Yes. And a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. There's almost no Hawkman without Hawk Girl. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's rare that he's ever by himself. And if he is, he's thinking about her or trying to get her. Mm-hmm. So she's she's more present in the stories than Steve Trevor is at times. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah. Weeks. So good. It's, yeah. It's a good... No, I I give her a stamp of approval. Yay! Nice. Finally. Right. <laughs> right. I'm still waiting for Wonder Woman to get that from me. Right. <sighs> Problematic. Problematic. Um. But yeah, I think Savannah. we we've gone through Thanagarian world building, the Honor Wings, Thanagarian Impossible Day. They're things that they can do they're like you know their toolbox um is there anything else i'm still waiting for them to learn anything that's actual police they did (laughs) like like stakeouts yeah they learned stakeouts they learned how to like trap criminals because again i will say if what we can see from thanagarian crime or thanagarian crime is just oh my god someone stole the thing chase them down and get the thing back they've never like set a sting up before or baited something for the criminals to get to or preemptively given a target that they knew the criminals would go for and then followed them back to their base. Like that doesn't seem like a thing that they've done. Cause if those ones weren't clear that that wasn't something they had done, but it seems like it was just the use of but, lassos. Well, no, like the, the lassos. Yeah. I mean like 
That's also dubious because presumably, I don't know how Thanagar evolved as a species in their own world, but ropes and tying things together, whatever. Although, um, if we decide to start cross-pollinating the different superheroes, I could see where lassos are currently a modern-day tactic in that universe, if you're yeah. using Wonder Woman <laughs> as an example as the example sure. that they take in and go hey Wonder Woman is this wonderful force la 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 lasso otherwise they literally just binged on spaghetti westerns god I'm just imagining like a thousand wannabe cops or like rookie cops being like oh shit lariats are awesome and like <laughs> what just start using it on the job and here's the thing Here's the thing. For the halls to start using it themselves, you would assume that the thousands of people using lariats and police work are actually being effective with the lariats. Yeah. Like, I'm super down to imagine a version of the 20th century where lassos are a thing in cop enforcement. It is also interesting to note that this is the first married couple that we've had, especially that are not superhero sidekick yeah so this is an interesting dynamic all on its own right all right uh a little bit of context just to sort of frame stuff uh we mentioned that this came back in 1961 uh hawkman or rather hawkman in flash comics uh ended in 1951 so we had a good 10 years of uh being hawkless work workshopping that with gardner fox throwing darts at a wall yep um so I can talk a little bit about the artist, uh, because the artist was Joe Kubert. Kubert? Kubert? I don't know. I'm going to call him Kubert. Uh, doing pencils and inks. Uh, and he did a surprising amount of interesting stuff. Like, this is all just me basically copying the Wikipedia entry, but it's interesting, so deal with it. Uh, he did do inks for Old Fl- for old Flash when he first debuted. So he'd been around for a while. Uh, and now he's doing both pencils and inks. Or he did inks for New Flash when New Flash debuted. There we go. Uh, now he's doing both pencils and inks. Okay. He worked on the first 3D comics. I have no idea what they look like. Didn't take the time to look at that. And he did a bunch of Sergeant Rock. Hey! Uh, he also, in 1996, remember, like he is a veteran in 1961. Uh, in 1996, he wrote and illustrated Irvin uh, Rustamagic's experience of the Siege of Sarajevo as facts from Sarajevo. Hmm. Which, uh, holy crap. Because, yeah. like, I always associate that comic in the same tier as Mouse. Uh, I, don't, yeah. I haven't ever read either of them all the way through. I think I've read a little bit of Facts from Sarajevo. Not a lot. Mentioned, you've mentioned Mouse on here before, though. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, like, those kind of prestige graphic novels that were in that era before comics were kind of accepted as, no, there are some really good, like, autobiograph- autobiographical comics out there. Like... I think of this on the same bookshelf as So Long Chunky Rice, I think. Uh, But anyways, uh, he even inked for one of the Before Watchmen series, which just shows how recent he is. Like, he died very recently, Hmm. like within the past 10 years. Uh, Apparently, I think he inked for his son's art. Oh, cool. Something like that. And he founded the only accredited school that is devoted exclusively to cartooning. Fair enough. Yeah. The, I think it's called the Kubert School. Cool. Now, he's no uh, unionizer like... Uh, God, I, for, I always forget his name. Not Kaniger. Schaffenberger? Schaffenberger, yes. American hero Schaffenberger. 
Uh, anyways, uh, Gardner Fox on writing, we mentioned. Uh, just to remind you where we've seen him before. Talked about this a little bit, but he did the JLA these days. He did Hawkman back in the day and the JSA back in the day. Old Sandman, Old Flash. And he did a little bit of the new Flash as well. Uh, one of the industry vets at this point. And edited by Julia Schwartz, who launched the Silver Age with New Flash, Green Lantern, and JLA, and he was an asshole. Moving on. I want to talk a little bit about art composition. A lot of the shots are fairly close to the subjects, especially conversations between Qatar and Shayer. Uh, they're not quite intimate enough to feel romantic. They're not Green Lantern level, but it did feel a little bit closer. It felt like we were a little bit more part of the action than like Superman comics have been. Uh, and Wonder Woman and Justice League as well. I don't think if be those feel still a little bit like on a screen, I guess, like per people against a screen over on the other side of the room. You know why they're not as close as uh, Hal and uh, Carol? It's because they're married. Instead, that is true. You, you've got very close Miss Trent. Yeah. Oh. Mavis is the one that's oh. close to Qatar or Carter, and mm. uh, Shaira is. But it's never sexy, it's sweet. Mm -hmm. There is a panel of like romance comic pose. There's a specific panel, I think in the first story, where Qatar is, or where Shaira is perched on the edge of a roof, like like both of her legs like pressed together, like kind of leaning over uh, the roof. And Qatar is just like lounging. Like I have written down as Grecian nude mm. uh, or actually a Renaissance nude, Renaissance nude. And it's like, there are m some moments through here where a, there are just more interesting uh, poses just in general. Like there's a bit where they're falling and it feels like they're draped in more natural ways instead of sort of stiff. But also sometimes you do get those. Oh, that's a, it's a little bit of a romantic kind of, or, uh romance comic pose not mm -hmm. so much a romance romantic pose but you can kind of see that that being said i don't think kubert does a great job of using compositions for emphasis uh specifically characters often don't pop from the backgrounds uh usually either because the backgrounds are busy or the characters share colors with the background like there are shots where there's yellow elements in the background like yellow vines and the hot costumes have yellow in them or there are bits where there's a blue sky that's the same shade as their wings. It's like, why? Um, the masks. I want to talk briefly about the masks. And this actually gets a little bit back to Shaira as well. Uh, first off, Qatar's mask. I hate the angles of it. Because remember, you, you may remember, listeners, that way back in the past, we talked about Golden Age Hawkman and how there was the entire beak top and lower halves on his mask it was two heads one on top of the other yep whereas here it is just the upper half of the beak so it's like his lower his lower jaw is the underside of the beak but the downside is that the way they do that is they have like like the way the mask works is like the nose and then around the contour of the jowl down to like uh where your like the side of your jaw hits like your chin uh so instead of it being like like a cool like swoop back or i think nowadays it like like does a cool angle like all the way down like a spartan helmet kind of thing where uh it feels sharp instead it just looks like he's perpetually a little bit frowny face and not like angry frowny face it's just a very soft angle uh the other it's catfish 
Um, with skirts. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay, I'm down with that. I'm down yeah. with that. Uh, the other thing that, that bugs me about uh, Katara's mask is the eyes are just... Uh, in, they're... Mm, looking at my notes. Uh, Permanently falling asleep. Yes. Uh, they're flat eyes on top instead of being in any way angles. Like, they're flat to the ground, more or less. Compare that to Hawkgirl because uh, Shaira has, like... The all the lines, uh, the silhouette is sharper because it's like swept up into the back, uh, and her eyes are doing that like downward slant. So she has a little bit of angry eyes going at all times. She looks more intimidating in that way than Katar's mask does. On the same line with uh, costumes, uh, the villains—they're not amazing costumes, but at least they're distinctive. We don't have any. Partly because we don't have any gangsters. Uh, we have like we have a guy in a wizard suit. We have a guy in a shadow outfit. We have a yeti. It's like it's not spectacular, but it's all the villains are distinctive at least. Again, I will say the only character that I've seen happen bef- come back is the shadow thief. So we already pretty well covered world building, but I'm, I just want to say it again for emphasis. Uh, everything here that comes up, like honor wings. Like the animals, like the feel of Thanagar as a whole, uh, and Bith feels like it's actually world building, and it instead of it being like throwaway stuff, in part because it doesn't feel like any of it is. I don't know of anything in the future that's going to contradict this. All of this could go absolutely nowhere. All of these details could be completely forgotten, but right now it feels in character with the future of Thanagar as I understand it, which is a limited understanding. Uh, so it feels like it's not going to be something that's overwritten and thrown away. Uh, so transitioning into random notes that I have that are entertaining. So Bith and his minions are basically Animorphs, right? Uh, for only as long as the pills last. Okay. They, well, so the pill lasts, and they have to basically flush it fully out of their mm. system to reverse the effect. Right. Uh, the letters column is called Hawkman's Roost. Nice. Uh, like that. So, last time I talked about how there was almost like an Overton window of what kinds of stories we accept as normal for a character. Why didn't... And I talk a little bit about tone. Why didn't I coin the phrase Overtone Window? Because hindsight's twenty twenty. Yep. Anyways, uh, I'm heavily bugged that the museum just randomly has some insane stuff. Like, random artifacts from Chaldea are one thing. Okay, whatever. But Hannibal's go- golden sword? Pretty sure Hannibal didn't even have a golden sword. It's a replica. Mm, that's fair. So, I love that there are rain nights on a weather-controlled planet. But I want to figure out what the what the real corporate dystopia would be. Is it that it would never rain? That it would only rain outside of cities, like in re- in reservoir areas or rivers, or it never rains during the day? Mm. It sounds like they probably have it set to rain as needed. But the dystopia not- version mm-hmm. is it rains outside of cities. Just never rains inside? Mainly because then it could feed... Um, uh, corporate interests the corporate dystopia is that they've convinced most people they don't want like a spring rain yeah one last thing that i'm just going to uh say that i found really interesting so there's the there's the prison that bith is held in mm-hmm. and it's got like electric 
laser bars. bars. Yeah, those that are it, weird. And it seemed like they're always on, and it's bright as shit. If that's like, if that's the main like way that they keep people in, like if those are the bars that are on twenty four seven, that's basically torture. But anyways, uh, that that's... was that is my last little bit. Recommendations. So, my recommendation, um, more because. Here you are listening to a educational podcast, getting you caught up all that good stuff in comics. There's a comic that very recently um, is getting a movie. And that comic's Faith, depending on what your interests are, it is actually a very body positive superhero comic um, revolving around a main female character, Faith, who is definitely plus size. But completely fabulous despite it um but yeah a movie's in the works if you want to get caught up and me personally one of the artists on it marguerite savage is phenomenal she does a lot of the bombshell stuff and i just freaking love her art style on my end i'm actually gonna recommend glow now for clarification i have not seen the first season of glow Literally, um, my, I know, I know. Uh, my girlfriend put, put on the second season while I was prepping for this episode and just kind of half watched it the whole way through. I was, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm invested in this. I'm, I'm interested. So, yeah, I, I do recommend it. So, to clarify, Glow is about, it is a fictionalized version of a 1980s uh women's wrestling program very wwe a real thing apparently so which yeah, i yeah. didn't realize at the time like i more i knew that there was something to that effect i didn't realize it was big yeah the glorious ladies of wrestling yep. is what glow stands for so now i need to go read the watch the first season and probably rewatch the second <laughs> but we're also binging on steven universe and we're caught up to like the start of this year so we're on the tail end of that we got to finish that um so literally I just put seven hours into this game and I bought it Friday. Um, it's called bomber crew. Um, if you are, if you play a lot of computer games, it's kind of like FTL. Hmm. If not, um, it is a game set in the 1940s and you are a British bomber crew on a bomber plane and you control each of the members of the crew as you do bombing missions on German uh, targets across the channel and you have like your gunners and your technician and your navigator and your radio engineer and your pilot and whatever. And it's really fun because it, it is one of those games where like your teammate, like the members of your crew can die. So then you have to like recruit more. So you get invested in keeping them alive and training them and upgrading the bomber um, it allows you to make custom art for the side of your bomber, which nice. I'm going to let Shannon custom art all over my bomber eventually. <laughs> um, you and it's it's just really interesting because it it's very micromanaging because you have to have someone who's good at uh, like being a mechanic and someone who's good at you know shooting guns, but also you have to um, upgrade your plane so there's extinguishers on the engines in case one of your mechanics can't get to it in time when the engine's on fire and. It's just very fun because you have just so much going on. And, of course, you can kind of slow down time a little bit, which I have never had to do. Really? Um, okay. Kind of like FTL had that slow-mo mode where you mm. or pause where you could, like, do everything. Um, I just don't do it because I haven't had the need to. Um, mm. But you can essentially farm missions so that you can, like, 
over level your plane before you go to the next segment of the game and the missions get more and more complicated like stopping v2 rockets from launching but oh no the rocket launched shoot it down from your plane you know like and just by that like stage that. if you leveled up so much that you've got like just gold armor all over yeah. your uh, ship uh, you can't no, have, diamond diamond you, you can't have a banana yellow bomber or a um, <laughs> london bus colored bomber or my favorite because i got the dlc um the bomber is literally just painted to look like it's in a christmas sweater um, <laughs> Wow. It's pretty dope. Uh, oh, that makes me happy. But I, I just haven't messed with those. Um, just because they, they have so few literal real camos that I'm kind of just disappointed. Because I'm like, that would be cool just to see what the different, like, night camo and snow camo or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, because some of the missions are at night and day. And I was like, that'd be neat to do. Um, but it's it's just fun. And I, I like the art style a lot because it's super, like, all the characters are, like, chibi. Mm-hmm. So, like, they're almost like the pop vinyl figures. Oh, got, nice. like, big, big heads and little bodies, and they're running around. It's, like, not bloody or anything, but it's just, like, kind of funny PG version of World War II. <laughs> you can get little homing pigeons for your plane, so if you scuttle the ship on land, like, you can send a homing pigeon out to, like, have someone come rescue you, and um, you can have parachutes for the people to jump out. You have to, like, outfit them so that if they jump into the ocean, their clothes will keep them warm. <laughs> like, it's very, like, this is dark, but it's so colorful. Like, it's, it's very, it's very fun. It's cheap, um, for what it is. I think it's $15 naturally. When I bought it, it was $7 on Steam, so it was totally worth it. Um, but it's a cheap game for just a good quick play like you can get up and go in and each mission lasts like five minutes maybe ten. Oh, nice really bite-sized yeah so it's that it's was one fun. of my issues with ftl was i mean any kind of roguelike they tend yeah. to be like chunky nice yeah so it's it's worth checking out so that is going to do it for this episode we are going to go i think to green arrow next yes then do a little bit of world's finest one more episode of world finest to get up to 1960 so that we're like caught up caught up and then i got challengers of the unknown and that's jack kirby and i'm yes. really that. um so we have challengers of the unknown um we have supergirl for the future from when we do more superman and supergirl um the batman volume that i have starts in 1964 so i think we're just going to continue to go forward until we hit 1964 and then use batman and stop using world's finest um, unless there's something interesting in there um and look at batman stories like just batman stories and see what those are like in the 60s because that'll be like right when the adam west television show is happening so we can maybe do an entire episode about the Adam West television show after, or doing like the Adam West movie. And we just sit down and we talk about the Adam West That's movie. That's right. I forgot that was a movie. Um, yeah, man. The Bad Tussie. Um, what? Yo, know, baby. The Bad Tussie's a great dance. Um, <laughs> yeah. And on that note, I think we will see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and DCDetectivesPodcast.com. With the Hawks, we'd come back to the best of the Silver Age, and some of the best world-building that we'd seen, period. The world of Thanagar wasn't just a place they visited or a whimsical mirror of Earth that mutated according to the needs of the plot. Instead, it felt like each adventure was adding detail and context. We would come back to Midway City at some point, we were sure. For now, though, we set our sights on the latest addition to the JLA. It was time to visit Star City.